You're listening to New Security Broadcast from the Wilson Center's Environmental Change and Security Program. I'm Angus Soderberg, here with Claire Doyle, and today's episode is part of a special podcast series called The Arc, which looks at the different ways climate change interacts with social inequity and how our responses are an opportunity to build a more just and livable future for all. In this episode, we have the distinct privilege of hosting a trailblazer in the field of gender and agriculture, Dr. Maureen Maruka, who is the Director of Program Quality and Partnerships at Care USA, based in Nairobi, Kenya. Dr. Maruka has been really involved in the gender and agriculture space for a long time. She's been country director at Care International in Kenya, and she's led Care USA's flagship women in agriculture program called Pathways. And in 2018, she received the African Women Award from the International Development Research Center, which recognizes changemakers and leaders who've helped push for women's empowerment. Dr. Maruka, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to get the chance to speak with you. I think a good point to jump into this conversation on gender, agriculture, and climate change is with Kenya, where you were based, which is actually still feeling the effects of its worst drought in 40 years. We know that this drought has had impacts on agriculture through pasture conditions, reduced harvests, and and the like. But I'm hoping you could give us a sense of how the impact of the drought is playing out in your work and, and maybe the kinds of impacts that events like these have on women in agriculture in particular. Hello, and uh, thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. Uh, you're right that we have seen an unprecedented uh, period of drought in the past you know, couple of years that has also been coupled with other you know, challenges in, in the Horn of Africa that includes, of course, COVID-19, that was a global phenomenon, but we also had you know, damage from uh, locusts in that area, and then having you know, drought up to four to five uh, failed rain seasons. And so these affects, of course, you know, the communities, but women more disproportionately, as you know, we tend to see their access to food and nutrition security being hampered because of uh, you know, damaged uh, crops, um, wastage of all the inputs that they have used uh, you know, into those. We've also seen a huge case, many cases of gender-based violence because uh, women have to move uh, from one place to another. And that also actually reminds me that uh, migration has been uh, one of the impacts we've seen. And then later I'll be able to share some of these you know, experiences where women have had to take their children and, and then trek uh, long uh, distances in a bid to, to, to settle down you know, following uh, the drought. And so the agriculture and income generation, as you know, in most most parts of the world, but more so in sub-Saharan Africa, agriculture is the mainstay uh, of people's livelihoods. And so when we have the impacts of the drought and, and, and climate change, women are affected in the sense that they actually, they, they make over 40% of the global agricultural, uh, you know, labor force. Uh, which is responsible for 60 to 80% of total uh, global food production. And so we see that the drought is definitely going to affect that, but then it has also affected other uh, sectors as fisheries and, and forestries that are interlinked with, uh, with, with agriculture. And so women's employment is, is, is hampered in that sense. And 
I think I'll just summarize that by saying drought, um, you know, specifically has has ruined uh, women's uh, agriculture and income. Uh, we have studies within care that have shown that gender-based violence, uh, you know, has has increased uh, because of the drought. Uh, food and water security has been uh, impacted, and there's been changes in the dynamics on uh, control over resources. So the drought has, you know, led to migration, and women will be left home with new responsibilities that they did not have. Um, they will have some control over the decisions that the, the, their husbands would make, uh, you know, before. But then you will find that they have other barriers, uh, such as, uh, you know, lack of access to land that will uh, affect that. And speaking about Kenya, where I come from, you will find that 65% of the land is governed by discriminatory laws against women. And so even in this scenario, they're not able to take any meaningful uh, decisions and investments into their land. Uh, lastly, you know, drought uh, and floods, you know, together come with a lot of health and nutrition challenges, um, the diseases that come with it. Uh, but then, of, also, of course, also the access to food will lead to uh, climate-related, um, you know, malnutrition uh, for women and girls who are also most disproportionately uh, affected. I actually want to dig a little deeper into something that you just mentioned. You said that one barrier women face is their lack of access to land. And I think this is a really poignant example of how, you know, underlying social structures that discriminate against women then make it hard for them to be resilient to climate shocks. So given your work, I want to dwell on what this means in the, the agriculture or food space. Um, so yeah, what gender disparities or harmful gender norms are you seeing in your work in agriculture and food systems? And then how does that inequity impact women's ability to prepare uh, for or recover from, from climate shocks? Yeah, thanks for that question or two questions actually. Um, and so I think I just said that uh, due to gender-based inequalities and harmful social norms, the impacts of climate change uh, disproportionately affect women and other vulnerable populations. And so it, it follows that the resources and options uh, available to address uh, these challenges are strongly dependent on the gender norms themselves and expectations that govern uh, the way uh, women and these populations, uh, you know, live their lives. Uh, but I hasten to add that women and girls are also, therefore, uniquely, they're not just victims, they are uniquely positioned as essential change agents uh, to, or, you know, change agents in uh, global climate mitigation and adaptation. Uh, the other thing is that we've seen, especially again in sub-Saharan Africa, patriarchy and all these pervasive uh, stereotypes about what women can and cannot do, uh, you know, their rights, uh, the values, the, you know, the culture and the economic models that we have. They, 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 all of these factors combine to reinforce male-centered food and agriculture systems which continue to undermine the women, the, the role of women and consider this as subordinate and of course then undervalues their contribution to, to you know to the economy. So you will find that just from from very it, it seems basic, but you will find that women are not viewed as 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 market players or as change agents, as business women, let's say uh, you know in the market uh, you know space. And 
that they are not considered to have the confidence or even have any aspirations of themselves as, as viable, uh, you know, as, uh, as, as farmers that contribute, uh, you know, to the economy. And just these uh, norms that determine how women are viewed, of course, go a long way in terms of where they can be placed and the opportunities that they can, uh, you know, they can access. And you will find that also at community level, at individual and community level, because we do have communal land systems, uh, you know, for instance, so the inequitable access uh, to resources for women, such as land, is also embedded in patriarchal uh, systems of land ownerships and reinforced by laws and frameworks. As the example, uh, you know, that I gave uh, in Kenya, where the law might be clear about women being able to inherit land from their their fathers or their families, uh, but then the social norms uh, have prevented this law from being forced, uh, you know, to ensure that people can have access to land in the way that, that they have. And also these uh, norms continue to uh, exclude women from higher level markets or formal markets, uh, which affect their opportunities to increase their resilience to, uh, to climate, uh, you know, to climate change. The other thing is around leadership women are not able, because of the norms on who can be a leader and cannot be, women are prevented from taking leadership roles to change the narrative. And we'll find after today, uh, we are fighting people, not we, <laughs> people are fighting affirmative uh, action that ensures that we have the, the right numbers uh, of, of women in, in, in certain spaces where decisions uh, are made. And so we have to continually ensure women's leadership and inclusion uh, in all the climate uh, you know, change and justice conversations are taken seriously so that uh, we can address the barriers that limit uh, their voice and, and, uh, and, and role. Uh, I think I also said before that this, the social norms will determine how uh, food aid and other responses uh, you know, to climate change uh, are put together because of who will turn up uh, for whatever interventions are given. So if we are doing uh, trainings, if we are doing uh, cash assistance, if we are doing, you know, interventions that uh, ensure that women have the resources and inputs that they need, you will find that uh, men will be at the forefront or those selecting, you know, the beneficiaries will, will, will sort of exclude women because they are saddled with all these other roles that they have to undertake. The data has the data we have has has shown us, of course, that if we involve uh, women, and I think this is a very common statistic from FAO, that if women were involved in the way that they should be involved, we would see twenty to thirty percent, you know, increases in in, in food, uh, you know, production around the world. And so, if we have gender disparities in accessing and targeting women and addressing the social norms, the underlying norms that prevent them from uh, accessing the services that they need, we will always see the inequalities uh, in the food aid and any other assistance that is given. So given the rest uh, restrictions that social norms place on women that you just discussed, um, are there examples of efforts to empower women that then have, say, cascading benefits like improving climate resilience or generated other important social benefits like reducing poverty or food insecurity? Yeah, so first I'll give, uh, you know, an example uh, from, again, the Horn of Africa, uh, Somalia, where we have 28-year-old, uh, you know, woman who 
has you know come out to highlight the challenges women face when it comes to climate change and so she's 28 she's heavily pregnant she has to walk over 100 kilometers for 11 days with her children because life uh, at home has become unbearable again due to the the, the prolonged drought which is uh, forcing families uh, to make some difficult uh, choices and you can imagine in this family, they have lost 50 cows and 30 goats, uh, which are the family's sole source of their livelihoods due to the ongoing drought. And the sad bit of this is that this is a story that uh, so many people, and, and, and in particular women, can relate to. Uh, in addition to the drought itself, they do not have the access to finance, the resources and the services that further increase their poverty. And we know that uh, the people who are most impacted by uh, climate change, again, are the, are, the, are the poor ones. And so this just increases, you know, their vulnerability. So does this story end there? You know, where does she walk to? And what does she do after this? I mean, there could be uh, the humanitarian assistance that the organization I work for, uh, CARE uh, International, uh, you know, would do. But what is it going to take uh, to resettle people into, into sustainable livelihoods and build their resilience to such crises, uh, you know, in the future? So maybe I'll give an example from one of the uh, approaches that we, uh, one of the programs, sorry, that we have worked on uh, within CARE, which is named Harande. <laughs> Harande means food security in a local language uh, in, in, in Mali. And this program implements gender-focused activities uh, through different program, uh, you know, components, and it works with women, of course. So if I give you an example of a woman called Diara, uh, comes from Mopti region in, in northern Mali, who, of course, is a mother of children. She is a farmer. Uh, she has the leadership now to, 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 to participate in the uh, Women's Association and actually uh, as the president of the uh, association. Um, she's a traditional birth attendant, has been trained by this particular program. This program is intersectoral and later I might talk about why uh, it is important to have integrated approaches and intersectoral you know, programming to, to address the, the impacts of uh, food, I mean, climate change on, on, on food systems. And so a member of the community like this one is also exposed to other groupings that I would say other committees such as the Water and Sanitation Committee and the Community Development One. So you'll find as happens, you know, with life, she loses her husband and she has to provide for her, you know, her children. But then the local land tenure committee, um, in Mali we have communal land systems with the support of the village chief, give her three hectares of land where she started growing rice and millet to feed her family. Why this is important, and in a different program I, I worked on before, again, you know, right here in Mali, uh, we had to work with traditional leaders and traditional chiefs, you know, to take them through why it is important to involve women, uh, work with men and uh, in engaging men and boys to, to have them view empowerment of women, not as a threat to their masculinity, but as a, as, a, as a benefit for the household. And so in Mali at the time, we worked with the Farmer Field and Business School, which is an integrated approach that brings agriculture, uh, nutrition, uh, gender dialogues, 
markets as very, very important. And more recently, we have adapted, uh, you know, this approach uh, to ensure that it, it, it has uh, climate uh, uh, smart uh, approaches for agriculture and also including more recent concepts such as uh, agroecology, uh, which then would uh, and ensure that somebody who has been uh, trained in this approach and is able to apply it, you know, they acquire new skills and, and they use new inputs. So for this particular case, again, if I go back to it, it has increased uh, her millet and rice, you know, production, which is able to sell the surplus uh, at the market uh, to meet their expenses. And this include, you know, school fees, health and other household, um, you know, experiences. So uh, this is a, a 45 million food for peace project which started in 2015 in um, uh, in Mali, and it looks at uh, improving food security, nutrition, and incomes of vulnerable communities, especially uh, women. So, if you go through that narrative that I gave you, we are looking at three uh, areas. We look at uh, gender equality and women's voice happening when you intervene in three spheres. You build the agency, you can tell she has been trained, her capacities, uh, she has the knowledge and the confidence and the leadership to be able to engage in all of these uh, spaces. And then changing the relations that are at community level and, and at household level and to ensuring that she has the inputs and, and, and the support uh, and the land and the markets, you know, to, to, to be able to, uh, you know, to market uh, her, her produce and be able to get all these other outcomes that, uh, that, that we all want in our lives, school fees, health and other household uh, experiences. But more importantly, looking at the, the social norms and the structures, uh, looking at the structures, there are formal and informal structures that will influence how people uh, can um, uh, you know, address and adapt uh, to climate change or increase their food production. And the fact that the village chief uh, is able to sit down and the land tenure management community and, and give her land, it takes a multiplicity of these factors to get together so, you know, for people to uh, address uh, climate change. It's clear from what you've shared that there is an interplay between climate change, agrarian livelihoods, gender norms, but it's complicated. There are a lot of dimensions to it. So what are some gaps in research or practice that you think still need to be filled? What um, kinds of dimensions of this work do you wish were more salient conversations? Like what are people not talking about enough? I would say the first thing that really uh, you know, strikes me is the climate-induced migration and displacement, because it's 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 it's. I mean, people are uprooted from where they have been, uh, and they have to move to other um, you know locations and settle down and and also begin to rebuild uh, you know their lives. And so there is an age-old conversation around Nexus approaches because we are looking at from the humanitarian to the development continuum and also integrating now peace. So now it's a triple Nexus because it used to be, uh, but you know, I've been in conversations where this, this is a 30, like we had this conversation 30 years you know, ago. And so what are we finally going to do? Because it's so apparent right now. I mean, before maybe we were saying this is what we anticipate in the future, the future is here now, where we need to look at the continuum between uh, humanitarian and, 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 and development and peace and what it actually means. 
And I would think we need to come up with very sound theories of change uh, based on what we have seen recently and ensuring that we, we develop a theory of change that will ensure your humanitarian and development practitioners work together with peace uh, you know, practitioners to ensure that we can have an integrated and, and, and sound response to the challenges you know, that we have now. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that we, we will have these and actually enforced on the ground so that humanitarian and development are not, uh, you know, uh, uh, intervening in, in, in separate ways. I think it's become apparent and it's something that needs to be done now, but we do need the data, the evidence and, the theo and, and, and you know, the theoretical, uh, you know, uh, basis and the models for actually doing that. As I said before, a theory, um, you know, for, of change. Uh, the other thing is uh, in ensuring that within climate justice, in the work that we do in, in, in food systems, this has been done and we can learn from there and, uh, and adapt in terms of how we do uh, male engagement uh, within uh, climate uh, justice to address power relations and bring the tried and trusted approaches there, you know, to, to bear and identify, you know, the actual pathways uh, for, for, for doing this sustainably. The other thing is that we tend to talk a lot about women and and and, and girls and and care of course is a leader uh, in that in in that space uh, but we haven't sat down to say what what do we mean by girls because again looking at climate climate when i was a girl the future is here <laughs> and the young girls we have right now the, the you know the future is is coming so we do need to see that we emphasize adolescent girls and i would say boys activism and engagement in these spaces and see what are the models that work uh, you know for their mentorship for their training uh, for their leadership, uh, for their safe spaces, because they are going to be adversely uh, affected by climate change and basically how are we building the, the future uh, leaders in this space. Another area I think that we should be looking at is investigating intersectionalities more. More should be done to understand and, and assess how we look at the the range of identities you know that we have here and so that the, the programs we design uh can take um into consideration not just gender <laughs> which we've become very uh, good at and yet we have not made such uh progress but uh, you'll agree with me that including indigenous people looking at ethnic minorities religion lgbtiq the elderly you can imagine if we are talking about displacement what it means when elderly people are displaced as well as you know people with the disabilities one thing i feel very very strongly about is the is the data we have right now you will see this big um you know data reports that have been released recently on on the global food crisis on 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 the state of food uh insecurity and and all that but you will find that a lot of analysis that is done is done and reporting that is done uh goes without basic data from women and their experiences, you know, and much less uh, building on their opinions and their leadership. And when we are collecting big, mega, you know, global data, these systems tend to be neutral because we are looking at macro climate trends, you know, for instance. But then how are we going to know what women's experiences uh, uh, is? And how is that going to inform our actions and responses? Because we are saying 
um, a lot of data that we have in care has shown us uh, women's response, you know, during COVID. So how are we going to use all the experiences that we have learned, all the data that we have had from, you know, the, 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 the pandemic and the drought uh, to ensure that we have data from women and that it is collected, it is inbuilt into the research uh, that we do so that it um, informs our actions and uh, responses. For our work on food systems, we've been able to do a cost-benefit analysis of why it is important to integrate gender transformative approaches in food and nutrition security related programming. And we have data to show that for every $1 invested, you will get $31 in social returns or you know, on investment. So this will include health, education, uh, incomes, resilience, and livelihoods. Uh, one of the things that I think we should do within the climate uh, space is to do a cost-benefit uh, analysis of why it is important to have gender transformative approaches in climate justice res responses and their role in building uh, resilience towards uh, you know, climate change. I want to close with a question that looks at what we mean by gender here. So when we talk about gender, I think in a lot of spaces, it can be really easy to think about gender as synonymous with women and then, you know, to reinforce this idea of a gender binary between men and women. But you mentioned LGBTQIA communities and their kind of unique interaction with climate impacts. And uh, we know, of course, that understandings of gender are different across societies, right? So I'm curious, how do you navigate that in your international work? Um, how does CARE think about or address the interaction between climate and gender identity more broadly? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question, and I'm, I'm I'm one of the people that keeps telling everyone, you know, that can listen to that that gender is not about women because that's what comes to people's minds uh, when we when we we say that, and ourselves, uh, you know, from care, we initially had a women's empowerment framework uh, that that came out of a strategic impact inquiry that was done in the '90s uh, to look at what actually works for empowering. Uh, women and that's when we came um you know up with our gender equality i mean women's empowerment framework at them that looked at the agency i think i talked about that about you know the structures and looked at relations but then with with working and and then looking at look all of these things are embedded in deep-seated uh, social norms that uh, you know exclude women and other vulnerable you know populations from benefiting from all the work that they they, they put in it is going to take a lot more to challenge these uh, norms and it is going to take involving men uh, you know to be able to do so and so you've seen a lot of uh, conversations going on with men engage you know men as allies and i really like men as allies because as you say we are we are not pitting men and and and, and women uh, against uh, you know uh, each other and so i will uh, so we consider in our new framework the gender equality framework in, in looking at the fact that, first of all, we still recognize that uh, the gender gap is still huge. And COVID-19 and all these other crises have taken us so far back in that regard. So we are still going to have interventions that focus on, on bridging that gap. And these are going to focus on women because they are the ones that are disadvantaged in that sense. 
but we are working towards gender equality and therefore we need to bring men into that uh, conversation we need to bring power holders because the the, the, the inequalities we have are because of uh, you know power relations between men and women and other power holders uh, you know into these uh, conversations and so i still maintain the you know the old definition that gender is a social uh, contract you know a construct and it is really uh, upon us to to keep <laughs> making the relevant noises in in, in the conversations because it will always come up like are you talking about gender are you talking about women and equality and also uh, i mean gender equality or just talking about women and also being very alive to the fact that we do now have a whole lot of conversations to have with regards to uh, inclusion. And I think that's why we are now looking at gender equality and social inclusion, uh, ensuring that we do not uh, uh, take uh, for granted that if, if women have these issues, you can imagine what a, a woman that belongs to the LGBTQ community would face in that in that regard. But then the intersectionality that I talked about that has not been looked at in detail in agriculture and food systems is where we should be going with this conversation. Thank you so much for this really wonderful conversation. I think it was a great way to wrap up uh, looking at, you know, the path forward, what that needs to look like, and and also how to involve everybody in this work. Great. And thank you both uh, for such brilliant uh, questions and uh, discussions on what we really should be looking at and focusing on, because there's a lot of work to be done. And we can do with all the, the knowledge and sharing that we that we need uh, to address the challenges that are before us. You've been listening to the new security broadcast at the Wilson Center. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, follow us on Twitter at New Security Beat and visit newsecuritybeat.org.